The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, the show where America is the star and the American people. And we love to hear your stories. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. Up next, a story from Kevin Sammy, the son of Indian-American immigrants who appeared in Forbes 30 Under 30 for law and policy in 2016. Today, Kevin shares with us the story of his family's love for the sport he played, football and why they value his education so much. Take it away, Kevin. You know, I grew up in Canton, Ohio. I am first-generation Indian American. So my mom and dad, they emigrated from rural South India. My dad came to the United States to do his doctorate. He ended up moving to Ohio to work at a company as an engineer, and that's where I was born. And I had what I believe is a pretty uh, archetypal Midwest upbringing in, in a lot of ways. I played football in high school and I ended up playing in college too. I don't think I would have if not for the fact that I grew up so close to the Hall of Fame and the, the culture there was so deeply steeped in football. 
I didn't know I would be as good as I was. Playing in college is difficult to do, and I say that to give credit to everyone who, who makes it to Division One ball. You know, my parents, they really wanted to learn the game after I became interested in it, after be, I started to do well, and I got looks from colleges. I was, uh, you know, all state for two years in, in the state of Ohio, which is, a you know, known for good football. It went from me trying my, my hand in it to there would be Indian families that would come from different parts of the state and around the region who'd come watch my high school games just as a function of being now interested in this game. They didn't have any other reason to be, let's say, before. Um, during the Thanksgiving, the Turkey Bowl, uh, the Thanksgiving game that NFL plays every year, all of the Indian families would come to my, my house because my dad would teach them the rules, teach them, <laughs> teach them how the game worked. There are fewer things I, I feel more strongly about in terms of what have shaped me than, than the game of football. I very much grew up in the way that I think we all hope America to be. One that is not always, but predominantly accepting of difference, where this sort of multicultural experiment is more or less working. I mean, Google co-founder was a refugee but an enormous amount of American winners of Nobel Prizes are immigrants. It's an amazing place where that type of reality exists. I should say segue into my parents. I mean, part of the reason I got involved in politics, latched on to Barack Obama's candidacy, is he talked about in his famous DNC speech that really launched him into the public ether. He talked about his father's family farming goats in Kenya. My dad's family farmed goats in India. India is a fascinating place, largest democracy on the planet. The caste system in India was a vestige of British rule, and it doesn't officially exist, but the caste system is still a kind of unfortunate vestige of the past that has some kind of you know, relevance in modern Indian society. And so my family is from a relatively lower caste. We're not, we are not from the, high, the higher caste, if you will. The reason I, I say that is, you know, I am from a, a lineage of meat-eating, farmer, South Indian you know, people, uneducated. My mom and dad were the first in their families to really go to school. My father was the first to go to go to any school, let alone higher education. You know, he grew up in a village with no running water, no electricity. You know, nobody could read. It was an illiterate community. There was a neighboring village where there was one guy that used to call him in, you know, my parents' mother tongue, Bummel, uh, Tamil. They used to call him the reading uncle because he, he was the one guy within, a, you know, a however many mile radius that could kind of read. So people would bring him letters or, or the very small amount of things that needed to be read. Uh, they'd, they'd bring him that collateral, that content to, to translate or to read for them. There's a moment in my dad's childhood where there were a handful of little kids, he, one of one of which was him. And some of the, the parents thought to themselves, look, like, let's pay this guy a few rupees a month, right, to, to teach our kids, like, you know, basic basic thumble, basic literacy. They uh, kind of hollowed out a little clay, less than 500 square foot space that was a temple with some old idols and things in there that God knows how long they've been there. Took some things out and they bring sand uh, from the river bed to coat the floor so it was fresh and soft and, and malleable. And they would use their fingers to write in the sand as a chalkboard and to do letters and numbers. And when the sand was coarse when it was a hotter day or wasn't soft anymore their fingers would bleed and so it's kind of an indigenous vegetable in the, in the area that they would crack open and they would put on their fingers like thimbles and to protect them after they started to bleed to keep continuing their lessons that's how my dad learned how to read he ended up 
going to a nearby government school that was 13 kilometers away. His father, my grandfather, saved money for a year to buy a bike so he could bike there. One thing led to the next to the next, and you know, education was really a way out of, of that type of poverty. I'll just say, you know, very much so uh, the, the American dream. I mean, he came to the United States to give his family a better shot, to, to sort of raise the quality of life by an order of magnitude. I think my appreciation for being American is so rooted in that. And how is it, you know, I don't, I don't blame people for not knowing. I wish, I wish I could show them. But how is it that you can't appreciate the value of a place like the United States when you can see how far you can go? It is that possibility that is what makes this place special. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I, I spoke a little bit about football, but it, the game meant so much to me. It, it really built me. And a special thanks to Faith Buchanan and Monty Montgomery for the editing and post-production of this story. And a special thanks also to Kevin Sammy for sharing, in the end, his father's and mother's story and the American dream story that so many immigrants come here to pursue. And today, Kevin works at R0, a company moving the ball forward on biosafety. To find out more about what he's up to at that company, go to r0.com. That's r0.com. How can you not appreciate or value this country when you see how far you can come, said Kevin about America. His father, well, no running water in his community, the first in his family to even have the ability to read. Comes to America, becomes an engineer, and that next generation, oh my goodness, you know the rest of the story, you just heard it. A terrific story about the American dream, about poverty, about immigration, and about the ability of America to absorb different people from different places. Kevin Sammy's story here on Our American Story. Lee Habib here, the host of Our American Stories. Every day on this show, we're bringing inspiring stories from across this great country. Stories from our big cities and small towns. But we truly can't do this show without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love what you hear, Go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Go to OurAmericanStories.com and give. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with our American stories, and now... It's time for our Do the Right Thing series about ethical dilemmas, and it's sponsored by our friends at the Daniels Fund. And today we bring you a young voice out of New York City. So my name is Catherine Minshew. Uh, I, I felt really frustrated by the tools that were available to help me navigate my career. And so I started thinking, well, you know, what if you could go online and get career advice, peek inside companies, 
and a sense for different career paths and different roles and jobs and opportunities all in one place. And eventually I stopped thinking about it and I, I dove in and I started a business. I was about 25 when I started The Muse. You know, at that point in time, I was probably working, you know, north of 80, maybe even 90 hours a week. I pitched 148 investors before I was able to close our seed round of capital. And I also had to build and grow the business. So there were times when I was getting, you know, no's from investors all day. And then I would go home, you know, let's call it 9.30, 10 p.m. And I'd do another couple hours of answering email, all the work that I couldn't get to during the day. I was going to bed at 2 a.m., you know, between 1 to 3 a.m. <laughs> nearly every night, sometimes later. But I, w I would try, quote unquote, and be asleep by 2. And, you know, it was, it was hectic. It was insane. But at the same time, I had never loved anything more than I loved building that business. And it also felt like such a gift to be working on something that was so meaningful. You know, jobs and careers, like people derive an intense amount of meaning from where they work, even though, you know, there were days I just, I wasn't sure we were gonna make it through. So early in the company's history, we were scrambling hard for every customer and every client and it often felt like each deal we signed was going to be the difference between success or failure you know between the business surviving to live another day and going out of business and so every deal was really hard fought and i remember probably yeah i want to say it was probably about a year and a half in I heard through someone on my team that they were having a lot of issues with a client that we'd recently signed. And, you know, I remember asking, well, like, what sort of issues? Because issues is a really broad word. It can mean a lot of different things. But as I dug in, it became clear that the client was not treating our people in a way that aligned with our values. It was, you know, I just think they were being incredibly rude and disrespectful. I initially got involved in the relationship and told the senior most contact that we had at the client that I had some concerns about how their team was treating my staff and that it was important that they <laughs> that they not do that. You know, and it, they seemed to take it very seriously. They were very kind. But when I went to check back in later, gosh, a week or two or three later with my team, it seemed pretty clear that the behavior hadn't changed. And I remember thinking about the situation for a while and trying to think about what was the best thing to do. The individuals at this client were being very kind to me, but they were just, just truly being absolutely terrible to members of my team. And, you know, I felt like in some ways it made it worse that they were treating the less experienced members of the team so much worse as, as if they felt like they could do that because they could just get away with it. And so, I mean, I remember talking about it with my co-founder, Alex, um, and ultimately we came to the fact that given that we had tried warning them, we had tried asking them nicely, 
and they hadn't changed their behavior, this just wasn't a company that we were willing to do business with or that we were interested in doing business with. And so I ended up getting on the phone with them and saying that we'd be canceling their contract and refunding their money. And that was hard. It was a bit scary. We, again, we just didn't have a lot of money to spare. And so it was painful to give it back. But I also felt like it was really important that I set standards for how people treat my team. When I told my team that I was going to fire this client, I don't think they initially believed me. I think they uh, appreciated that I was standing up for them, but imagined that I would emerge from the second phone call with, I don't know, some, some result that wasn't the client being fired. And there was a real, there was a real relief and there was a, a real appreciation when, when I said that that wasn't what had happened and that we wouldn't be working with this company anymore. And I think it set a really powerful example for you know my willingness to forego revenue to the business in order to do the right thing by our people. And in particular, because the mission of The Muse is about you know, helping people navigate their careers and find that best fit job, company, and career, it was also a way of saying that you know, we just didn't believe that a company that was going to be behaving in that way had a place on our platform. You know, you, you only really know what your values are until you're willing to defend them. It can be very easy to say that you believe in X, Y, and Z, but it's when push hits shove. <laughs> you know, it's when you have to make a hard call that it really becomes clear, you know, if, if you're if you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. And and look, one of the hardest things about being a leader is making the calls. And a lot of calls are not black and white. There are other clients that have been, you know, a little prickly or a little bit difficult. And, you know, I certainly don't think that you need to go around firing clients left and right if they, you know, step an inch outside of your prescribed ideal communication method. And at the same time, sometimes people just cross a line in a way that is deeply egregious. And I think that I certainly took a lot of knocks as I was building the muse. And I'm sure my team dealt with a lot of crazy situations and a lot of difficult people. But I remember this one just felt, it felt too far. And I think that it's such a powerful statement for a team when you draw the line around what you won't accept. Uh, it's frankly, it's really powerful for an individual. It's, it's sort of the concept of boundaries writ large. And again, I, you know, I believe in giving people second chances. I believe in being gracious. I also believe that, you know, a lot of humans are going through a lot of stuff. And so when someone shows up to a conversation or an email exchange or a meeting with uh, aggression or, or with rudeness or, you know, with different behaviors, I try and remember that I don't know what they're dealing with. And, and, and at the same time, you know, there's just certain patterns of repeated behavior that I think you've got to remove from your life. And so, you know, just because I personally wasn't having to deal with this client in my role as a CEO, once it became clear to me how they were behaving and the impact that was having on my team, I felt, you know, I, I felt like it was the right thing to do and didn't regret it for an instant.
and I think even if the muse had failed, I, I am so, I don't think I would have regretted kind of going out on the field and, and giving it my all. And the fact that, you know, we were ultimately, after years of struggle, we were ultimately able to build a really, you know, kind of successful business that now has a, a brand in the space. And yet, you know, I'm sure that the majority of Americans are probably not familiar with the Muse yet. We're kind of, a, I joke that we're like in the tweener stage where we're much bigger than the, the startup that we used to be. Um, we have, you know, I think something like 75 million people worldwide a year who come to the Muse in some form or other but we're so much smaller than the big players and you know and and now we just got to work on uh, on coming for them and you've been listening to Catherine Minshew tell her story our do the right thing series again brought to us by the folks at the Daniels fund here on our american story The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. 
Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Our American Stories, and up next... Our own Joey Cortez brings you a story about a fictional character we all know and love, Superman, and how he would team up with a real-life undercover agent to take down a truly vicious villain. Over the years, Superman has fought many villains, including the KKK. Rick Bowers brings us the story of how the hero not only fought this villain in the fictional series, but also in real life. Here's Rick with the backstory. The actual Superman character was created by two Jewish kids in Cleveland in the 1930s. And these two kids were high school students and they loved science fiction. They would hole up in their attic studio reading science fiction magazines, books. They would go to the movies, you know, caped heroes like Zorro, were doing great things on the big screen. And they were taking all of that in. And they started to create their own characters. And they created a character and a story called The Reign of Superman. But in that first iteration, Superman was bad. He was an evil scientist doing horrid experiments on homeless men during the Depression. And he had no real superpowers. He was just super evil. So they were creating some interesting characters, but there was always something about that character, that original Superman, that was not quite right. So they put that on a shelf and let it incubate. And as Superman lore goes, one night Jerry Siegel, one of these two young men who were struggling to 
get through the depression, find work, and make it in the field of comic art, had an epiphany. We have it backwards. What the world really needs is a good Superman. And that epiphany and the character that evolved from it came just as publishers in New York City were developing the first comic books. And the first comic books were actually compilations of newspaper strips, Little Orphan Annie, Popeye. And those newspaper strips would be put in books and sold for a dime apiece. But after the supply of newspaper strips had been exhausted, these publishers needed original content. And one publisher recalled this set of drawings that these kids from Cleveland had set with this character called Superman. And they were in a pinch to launch a comic book called Action Comics. So they hired Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster to put together 13 pages of Superman stories for the original edition of Action Comics. And before anyone really knew what happened, hundreds of thousands of those comic books had been sold. And the character that we all now know as Superman was born. Boys and girls, your attention please. Presenting a new exciting radio program. In the 1940s, the, the Adventures of Superman on the Air was created. Faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. And a creative writer and producer named Bob Maxwell transformed Superman into a radio show from the mutual broadcasting system in New York, where actors and sound effects people would create uh, a radio program three times a week where Superman took on mad scientists and crime gangs and evil spectral beings. And it became a hit. So Superman was now in comic books. He was a strip in newspapers. He was a serial in the movie theaters and he was reaching four million households three times a week through the radio. As World War II comes, the creators use him more as a weapon against America's enemies. So he's taking on Nazi spies. He's taking on German generals. And in one case, he actually took on Hitler and grabbed him by the scruff and carried him off to an international tribunal to be tried for war crimes. So Superman has become a meaningful character in certain ways. And as the war ended, and as times changed, the creators of the radio program asked a very perplexing question. What do we do now? It seemed like the crime bosses and the evil scientists 
had run their course. The war was over, so Hitler was no longer a target. But there was something happening here at home that got their attention. The Ku Klux Klan was attempting a revival. Six million Jews had just been killed in Nazi concentration camps. And here we have people in our own backyard who are preaching a similar philosophy and who believe that this post-war era can belong to them, that we can bring America's along to the Klan's philosophy, and we can create an organization with millions of members. So these two forces are very different. One is a fictional character on the radio, in comic books, and one is an actual real world organization that is actually carrying out atrocious acts against its enemies. Who would know that one day they would collide? While all this was happening, a young man named Stetson Kennedy was growing up in Jacksonville, Florida. Even at the age of 12, he was extremely uncomfortable with the perverse and pervasive racism of the time. Through the streets of Jacksonville, Klansmen marched, some on horseback, dressed in robes and hoods. And at first he thought that this was kind of a club for grown-ups, and they got to dress up in costumes every day of the year, anytime they wanted. But he later learned that this was actually a group that, quote, took care of people in colored town, which means they imposed their will on black citizens. And it was when the African-American maid in their house was attacked by the Klan for answering back a streetcar operator who refused to give her the proper change. And she was brought home bloodied and beaten that he realized what the real Klan was all about. And this young man, obviously being out of step with much of the culture of his time, decided at that point that his life would be dedicated to fighting this kind of hate. And we've been listening to Rick Bowers and he's the author of Superman versus the Ku Klux Klan, the true story of how the iconic superhero battled the men of hate. When we come back, more of this remarkable story on Our American Story. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. 
basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
And we're back with our American stories. And the story is Superman versus the KKK. As this organization grew, there was one real-life superhero looking to stop them, Stetson Kennedy. Let's get back to Rick Bowers with the rest of the story. In 1937, Stetson Kennedy became an interviewer with the Florida's Writers Project, which was a New Deal program for unemployed writers, editors, researchers, historians, and they would travel the state collecting life stories, tall tales, folk songs, and fables from common people. But he would record folk songs from blues singers. He would record stories from field hands and sharecroppers. And he started to understand that these stories, these songs, these rituals, these kind of values were what held people together. It held culture together. And so in his mind, this was a great insight. And he came to see that by having this information himself, he could be a much better writer, communicator, and he could tell the stories of the common people and inform others of their plights. So for Stetson Kennedy, it was the injustice that was being inflicted on these poor people. It was the racism that was directed at these African-American field hands, sharecroppers, fishermen. And it just hit him at such a level that he dedicated himself to trying to fix it. And he was working at the time for an organization called the Anti-Defamation League. And the Anti-Defamation League is an organization that opposes the prejudice against Jewish people and fights for the rights of all people. And they hired him as an infiltrator to get inside the Klan. The dangers were uh, very real. 1946, the Klan is reviving in Atlanta, Georgia. And Stetson, through his research, knows this. He knows that this organization, with a long history of violence, is trying to make a comeback. And it's all happening in what they called the Imperial City of Atlanta, Georgia. So he moved to Atlanta, Georgia, with the express purpose of infiltrating the Klan. So Stetson, uh, through the ADL, takes on a false persona. He takes on the persona of John Perkins, a encyclopedia salesman and the publisher of a hate sheet. He begins hanging around with Klansmen, talking their language. He begins attending their meetings. And everything he discovers is filed back to the Anti-Defamation League in the form of a spy report. And he's reporting on some of the atrocities at the time that are just so brutal that, uh, you know, they shake you to the core. Two black couples driving down a road outside of Atlanta 
in that year, 1946, are dragged from their car, taken to a riverbank, and shot dead. A black taxi driver in Atlanta who was seen giving a ride to a white woman is dragged from his car and killed. Inside the Klan group, Stetson would write reports about their plans to invade a government armory, seize weapons, and orchestrate an all-out attack on black communities. And Stetson is in the middle of this. The entire time, he was walking this fine line where one wrong step probably meant death. Stetson also risked writing columns under pseudonyms, exposing the KKK's hierarchy, customs, traditions, and most notably, their brutality. Meanwhile, as we learned earlier, the Superman radio show creators sought a new type of villain based on real-life people, awakening their audience to the evil in their own lives. Their villain would be the KKK, or in their 16-part series known as the Clan of the Fiery Cross. They worked with the ADL and used much of Stetson's findings, hoping to strip the Clan of their mystique and attraction by revealing what they're actually like behind all the secrecy. So through 16 episodes, this arc takes place and people are kidnapped, people are threatened. Clark Kent and Lois Lane have to put out a special edition of the Daily Planet to let the public know that this Klan group is threatening people. And of course, Superman has to take flight and round up these Klansmen and haul them off to jail. Stetson Kennedy always said the way to take down the Klan is by ridiculing them. That is, if you look closely at their rituals, this language that they use where everything starts with K, so the big Klan gathering is a Klan vocation. This kind of ridiculous language can be made fun of. These ridiculous outfits that these people wear, these long robes, these hoods over their heads, these little slits for eye holes. They look like clowns. They look like kids at Halloween dressed up as ghosts. So he felt that that was a great way to undercut the Klan. Suddenly they come into an opening, and as the car stops, Chuck gasps at the strange scene before him. In a glade, casting weird shadows over the nearby hills and lighting the sky above, burns a huge wooden cross. Before it kneel half a hundred men clothed in long robes. Pointed hoods, slit only at the eyes, cover their heads and faces. And a low guttural chant issues harshly from their hidden lips, sending an uneasy chill through Chuck's blood. While the boy looks about him at the fearsome sight, Matt Riggs dons a robe and hood on which a pale blue scorpion is embroidered. Then, followed by Chuck, he approaches the kneeling hooded band, a strangely barbaric company in the dancing light of the flaming cross. Gosh, who are all these guys, Uncle Matt? And why are you wearing the sheets and the hoods? We're the clan of the fiery cross, Chuck. We're a great secret society pledged to purify America. America for 100% Americans only. One race, one religion, one color. I don't get it. America's got all kinds of religions and colors. Oh, when we get through, there'll only be one. Only one? 
But the Constitution says all Americans have the same rights and privileges. Constitution? <laughs> we'll change that. I'll be quiet. Be quiet until I call on you. Attention, brothers. All hail the Trans Scorpion. In the clan of the Fiery Cross, supreme authority vested by me... So it, was, it was a very different kind of program for kids. It was very revolutionary for its time. In the end, it was extremely successful. The media praise that flowed in was extraordinary. Industry groups hailed Superman as a hero for tolerance. Education groups said, now we see that these characters can play a positive role. Newspapers wrote laudatory articles, some of them saying that this is great for kids, but maybe their parents should listen to it as well. There are stories that uh, come from actual Klansmen that tell the story of how their kids would listen to that show and then act it out. So one kid would put on a Superman outfit, the other one would put a pillowcase over their head and wrap a sheet around themselves, and then Superman would grab the white-sheeted kid and you know, drag him off to jail. Now, these are Klansmen watching this. So they became very infuriated with what this show was doing. And they felt that they were the ridicule of the world, where millions of people are listening to this and they think we're a bunch of fools. The Klan was humiliated. This villain's infamy would soon fizzle out. In the 1920s, during the Klan's peak years, they had four million members nationwide. Today, they have only 3,000. Thanks in part to the Superman character created by two boys from Cleveland, Ohio, and a real-life superhero with the courage to go undercover and expose a villain in his own backyard. And great work, as always, to Joey Cortez, and a special thanks to Rick Bowers for sharing the story. And, well, there's not much to add. The story of Superman versus the KKK, here on Our American Story. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. 
Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 